listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Thirsty Thursday Facebook Live. I'm Dr. Ron Eaker and I am a real doctor. I just don't play one on Facebook. Tonight we're going to talk about a topic that literally, literally applies to virtually everybody that I can imagine. If you're 18 or 85, it doesn't matter. There's virtually nothing else that I can think of that impacts everyone to some degree than inflammation or maybe stress. Stress affects everybody too, especially in a COVID world. But we'll see how that even dovetails into inflammation. So virtually every single one of you watching now has something to gain from these next few minutes as we talk about some natural ways to curb inflammation. Well, why is that so important? Who cares? Who cares about inflammation? Well, you should because it impacts a whole bunch of stuff. Let's take a little stroll down memory lane and review just a second about what inflammation actually is and why. Before we do that, while we're waiting for a couple of folks to come on here, a couple of more, there's ours, a bunch of you guys here. I've been told by people a lot smarter than me that you should never wear stripes on camera. Uh, there's something about it that just doesn't go over well. So I want you all to serve as my fashion consultants tonight and prove me, prove them right or wrong. So tell me, I mean, do, are the stripes, are they just freaking you out? Are people going to have seizures because I'm wearing stripes? Uh, or is that okay? You're, you're going to tolerate that. So just make a note in the comment or give me a thumbs up or let me know whether I need to go change my shirts before we get started, which I'm not going to do anyway, so you're stuck with it. But I'd just be interested to know if there's really any truth to saying this is really distracting or it doesn't look good or whatever. So you are my official uh, consultants tonight on fashion. But getting back to the subject at hand, inflammation. So again, let's review for all those folks. Remember, repetition is a mother of learning. So let's review about inflammation. Think of it as two separate, well, two related things. There's the acute inflammation and there's chronic inflammation. Remember, acute means it happens suddenly, it happens quickly. And that's a good thing. It's very good that we have the acute inflammatory response because that's what helps us get through acute illnesses. For example, if you get a strep throat, you're going to get an acute response. Your body senses that there's bad dudes getting ready to infect you and cause problems, so it sends all the white blood cells and all the kind of stuff that you know that happens with inflammation to fight off the disease, and that's a good thing. You know, you get an infection on your skin, you get a pimple, that's an inflammation. It's your body's response. The reason you get the way it looks, it, in irritated, tender, uh, gets all the, the whitehead, all that is simply a response to your immune system to the infection or inflammation. 
So in that respect, it's a good thing. Well, pimple's not a great thing, but it's a good thing that you have that acute response. Where we get into problems is that when it becomes chronic, when it becomes constant and long-term, we were not developed to have chronic inflammatory states in our bodies. That's not how we were originally designed, and it sets up all kind of problematic things. Some philosopher, and I don't remember who, but somebody a lot smarter than me once said that every virtue taken to an extreme becomes a vice. And that applies perfectly to inflammation. It starts out as a virtue, and if it ended there, fine. But when it goes on and on and on, then we're set up for all kinds of problems. Well, what kinds of problems? Well, we've talked before that we believe very strongly, and we have really good evidence, that chronic inflammation is the source, the, the beginning of many, many of our underlying chronic illnesses, things like hypertension, heart disease, stroke, obesity, um, diabetes, liver disease, uh, heart attacks. I mean, that's just naming a few. Alzheimer's, senile dementia, cancers, all have at its core as part or even as completely the source of its problem is inflammation. It begins the process. So anything we can do to reduce that inflammatory state as soon as we can, meaning, and that's why it's appropriate for all you young whippersnappers out there to pay attention because the sooner you do these things, the sooner you reduce the overall chronic inflammation in your body, the better off you're to be a, a peppy, sexy 80 year old one of these days. But I know, you know, when you're 30 years, 30 or 40, you feel like you're still immortal and you don't understand all this stuff. But take my word for it, when you're as old as me, you're going to wish that you'd have done these things years ago because it's an accumulative effect. Prevention starts very early. It's like compounded interest. The more you put away early, it magnifies in its benefit later. Well, the same thing applies to your health when you're trying to, to take precautions. So let's talk about, well, first of all, People talk about chronic inflammation, and we talk about the disease states that can be predisposed to that. But sometimes you don't have those. Maybe you, you don't have the hypertension or the diabetes or the kidney problems or the senile dementia or whatever. However, again, this is a chronic buildup over time. Sometimes early in the process of this, you can just have generalized symptoms that we normally associate with chronic inflammatory states. And those are things like fatigue, problems sleeping, difficulty concentrating, generalized aches and pains, joint discomfort. There's a whole gamut of symptoms that can arise from chronic inflammatory states. One I want to highlight specifically is weight. It's one of those, which came first, the chicken or the egg, or I guess which came first, the, the fat globule or the whatever. Being overweight creates an inflammatory state. As we've talked about before, fat cells are not just little globs that just sit there and don't do anything, uh, much like maybe some of your spouses but they're actually very active, very uh, hormone-secreting 
powerhouses. And one of the things that happens when people have an excess of fatty tissue is the fatty tissue doesn't get enough oxygen. And when that happens, uh, they kind of deteriorate and they begin producing all these chemicals that trigger chronic inflammation. So people who are 10, 15, 20, 60, 80, 100, 200 pounds overweight, by the fact of being uh, with excess body fat, creates a, a hyper-inflammatory state in their system, which then in turn can lead to other issues. Flip that around, and the more inflammation you have in your body, the more likely you are to gain weight. Go figure. It just, it just plays on itself. So it, it really is one of those issues that anything you can possibly do, anything you can uh, accomplish to decrease the overall inflammatory state is a good thing. And especially if it's something you can do that doesn't have any side effects, and it doesn't cost anything, and it's healthy, and it makes you feel better, and it's just all around good thing. Why not do it? So that's what I'm going to tell you now, the top 10 ways, 10 ways, natural ways, uh, pretty much low-cost ways, uh, side-effect-free ways that are going to help reduce inflammation. And again, common sense is common. So some of these you probably already know, some of them you already heard. Well, why aren't you doing them? If you know them, you got to do them. You know, this, uh, knowledge is not power. The application of knowledge is power. That's wisdom, is you got to apply the simple things, and if you do it over and over and over again, it's amazing what impact it'll have on your health and wellness. So, we'll start with the first, and that is very simply, eat a salad every day. Why do I say that? Because green leafy vegetables are kind of a double whammy when it comes to inflammation. They contain a lot of chemicals that reduce the acute inflammatory response or the uh, and they also interfere with the with the presence of what we call free radicals now those are not crazy people rioting in Seattle right now I mean they, they should be locked up radicals but they're not free radicals uh, these are chemicals in the system that trigger inflammation where the, Substances in these green leafy vegetables bind those and keep those from running its havoc. It's like the National Guard coming in and, and corralling all those folks and keeping them from burning down the buildings. Well, that's what the, the salads do to your system. And that could be spinach and kale and arugula. I mean, who doesn't? You tell me right now, who doesn't love an arugula smoothie for breakfast? I mean, come on. You don't get any better than that. Not only does it taste great, but it'll beat down your free radicals and it'll keep you regular. And as you all know, if mama's bowels are happy, mama's happy. So end of discussion. So eat some kind of salad, whether it's spinach, kale, arugula. I mean, there's cabbage, there's all kind of stuff. Remember last week, if you watched last week, we talked about the thylakoid-rich spinach extract. Well, you don't have to go get that stuff. You can just eat the spinach. And it's probably better for you anyway because it's got the whole food. And we all know that eating the whole food is better than eating the parts. So, double whammy. Reduce inflammation and knock out the free radicals. Number two suggestion. 
Avoid getting the hangries. You all know what the hangries are. That's where you get really angry when you get hungry. And when you get hungry and you start getting hangry, chances are real good you're going to reach for stuff that's not the great not the greatest in the world for you. Sweets, processed foods, uh, unhealthy snacks, and that just compounds the problem because what happens then is you get a spike in the blood sugar. You get the hangries because your sugar drops down and it creates that hunger. And then to satisfy that, you get a quick rush of sugar, most of us, and that shoots the blood sugar way up, that shoots the insulin way up, and that shoots the inflammatory response way up. So be very proactive in this case. If you tend to get the hangries, find some way to be proactive about having some healthy snacks available, whether that's some celery and peanut butter or whether that you know is uh, raw veggies and uh, hummus or hummus, as some of us in East Tennessee would say. Uh, no, they'd really say, get some of that bar hummus. Uh, maybe some almonds, cheese cubes, something like that. But be thinking about it. Be proactive. Don't wait because usually that's when you do the unconscious bad choices. So avoid being hangry. Next, go to bed. Sleep is a critical factor with inflammation. And again, it's one of those double whammies. The more inflammatory your system is, the more that these cytokines and these chemicals are floating around in your system, the more disruptive your sleep can be. And of course, the more disruptive your sleep, we've talked about thousands of times the complications associated with that. Increased weight gain, increased risk for cancers, increased risk for senile dementias, decreased immune response. So getting adequate sleep, there's these things called glymphatics in our brain that literally clean out your brain at night. Well, people who are not getting adequate sleep all that builds up, you don't get as much of that, and it eventually translates into this stuff that has been associated with senile dementia. And again, chronic inflammatory states, people who have these chronic inflammatory states are at higher risk for things like Alzheimer's and senile dementia. So getting sleep is very prophylactic, and how much do you, seven to eight hours, when you look at the studies, I know, I hear it every single day. I get it. I know that's a chronic problem. A third to a half of U.S. adults have issues with sleep. It's really a problem for a lot of folks, and I get that. I understand that. But it's something you can't take lightly. It's something you want to work on, something you want to talk to your health care provider about and try to get some suggestions uh, try to figure out what might work for you. And that's a variety of options, but getting adequate rest is key to reducing your overall inflammatory. Um, I, bet, I bet you folks didn't even know that lack of sleep is actually a risk factor for the development of type 2 diabetes. How about them apples? Didn't say how about them Twinkies? Number four, take your dog for a walk or take your hamster or take your gerbil or even if you take your bird. Just get out and walk, whatever you need to do to accomplish that. Now, I get it. When it's 110 in the, in, at 8 in the morning, it's hard to get excited about going out for a walk. But we know in every single study that's measured the inflammatory state, and by the way, we can do that, and I'll mention about how we can do that, 
every single study that's looked at exercise has been effective at reducing the overall inflammatory markers. And we're not talking about training for a marathon. I mean, we can't even go to those right now. They're canceled. They're all canceled. But just getting out and doing a 10 or 15 minute walk. If you're sitting at your desk all day, get up every five minutes and move around. Just getting moving, that action produces things called uh, these, these chemicals that actually interfere with the inflammatory response and it creates an environment that's very hostile to chronic inflammation. Uh, and for most of us, we don't have to worry about overdoing it because yes, there are some scenarios where if you overdo it, you actually produce an inflammatory response to try to correct some of the, 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 the breakdown that happens when you overdo it. But quite honestly, that's not really a problem for most of us. I think most of us, it's just a matter of trying to get in a habit of doing something in a consistent fashion. And it can be as something as simple as walking, make sure it's something you enjoy, otherwise you're not gonna do it. But it truly can make a difference. And we used to think, we used to think, boy, there's my roots. We used to think that you had to do something for 30 or 45 minutes and you had to be at a certain pace. Well, that's really not the case anymore, especially if we're thinking about reducing inflammation. It could be something as simple as 10 to 15 minutes that temporarily gets your heart rate a little elevated. So it doesn't take a lot of time. You don't have to go to the gym, even if you could, but it is, is a very, very effective tool. Are you, are you getting the message here? There's nothing earth shattering here, but it's stuff that has to be done on a daily basis, simple stuff, but dad burn it, you just gotta do it. That's what it comes down to. You just gotta do it. And if you'll do it consistent, you'll, you'll feel better, you'll look better, you'll act better, and inside you'll function better. Number six, maybe, I lost count. Spice things up. We always talk about how food is medicine, but we sometimes forget that spices that we put on our food can also be medicine. There's a multitude of herbals that can be very helpful when it comes to reducing inflammation. A lot of you are already familiar with things like, like cumin and curcumin, uh, things like turmeric, rosemary, uh, ginger, fenugreek, um, cinnamon, even that can reduce inflammatory. So you be creative, use that in your food preparation. Really spice, you, know, you would think that when we talk about spices, maybe you'd think about uh, heartburn and reflux and real spicy foods. Uh, well, that's really a different scenario. That's not an inflammation. By and large, those herbs and those spices actually help reduce inflammation. In fact, you can take cucurbit and, and um, cumin and even ginger as, as capsules, uh, uh, red pepper extract that uh, has some beneficial impact on uh, uh, inflammation. And you think it'd be just the opposite, you know, red pepper, hot, inflamed. No, it actually works in your favor. So use the things that you have available to really spice things up and make things more appetizing and help reduce inflammation. Now this next one, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna make a lot of you mad. Kinda of made me upset there initially. Take a break from alcohol. Now, some of you, that's fine. You've been broke from alcohol 
for a, for a long, long time, and good for you, and I think that's fine. But we have seen that excess alcohol, and I'll define what that is, definitely creates an inflammatory state. It interferes particularly with the liver metabolism, and we know the liver is the metabolic powerhouse of the body. The liver does so much. It is so responsible for so many things towards your health, and the more we create problems with the liver, the more we create problems down the road with all kind of other things, including diabetes and multiple other issues. So we know that excess alcohol can greatly add to this inflammatory burden. And by excess, generally that's accepted to be a glass of wine or for women or two glasses of wine for men. The reason being that it's metabolized different between men and women and oftentimes because of muscle mass and a lot of other things called distribution quotients, it, it is different for men and women. But uh, by cutting alcohol completely, at least briefly for one or two weeks, that's actually been shown. If you took a group of people and they would take a drink a day and you measure their inflammatory markers, they're probably actually going to, now don't take this wrong, I'm not encouraging drinking, I'm just using this as an example. They actually may have a little bit lower inflammatory markers if everything else is the same than people who don't take that drink a day. Again, don't misconstrue this, I can see the emails already. But if you take that same person and they stop drinking for a couple of weeks, then at the end of that, their inflammatory markers are even lower than both those other groups. So we know that there is some very definite benefits of taking a uh, wine holiday, if you will, and doing that periodically will actually enhance your inflammatory profile. So moderate consumption has some health benefits, but excess, uh, we all know, is just a bad, bad, bad thing for folks, both uh, physically and emotionally. Swap one of your coffees every day with green tea. If, especially if you're a big coffee drinker, uh, switching over to green tea really creates a lower inflammatory reaction in your system. Now there's some evidence that just coffee itself can be beneficial, but again, that's limited to one or two cups. So to really get the maximum benefit, have that morning cup of coffee, but later in the day, get you some of the green tea. It contains all these things called polyphenols, which are probably the highest concentration of these substances that act as antioxidants and anti-inflammatories. And we have a lot of evidence of the metabolic advantage of green tea. People who are regular green tea consumers tend to have a lower incidence of all the chronic illnesses such as hypertension and diabetes. Now some of that may be that in general people who drink green tea tend to do other things that are healthy. Imagine that. So it's hard to really differentiate saying it's just the green tea. It's probably more of an amalgamation of their good health habits. But start very simply, just replace one cup of coffee a day with the green tea and do your, it'll do your body a favor. Be gentle 
to your gut. We've talked so much on this Facebook about the microbiome and go back and review some of those. It's been some of my favorite ones and hopefully you've enjoyed those. When we talk about the influence that our gut bacteria have on our system, that if we take care of our gut bacteria, they'll take care of us. What I mean, what I mean by that is do things that are going to promote the growth of what we call healthy bacteria in the microbiome. And these are consuming both prebiotics, which are foods that fuel the healthy bacteria, and those are things like fiber and inulin and things that are high in both soluble and insoluble fiber. Those are considered prebiotics, essentially food for the microorganisms to thrive on. And then there's the probiotic rich foods, and those are things that actually contain a lot of the healthy bacteria, things like yogurt and sauerkraut and miso and uh, kombucha, I can never say that, kimchi and kombucha, uh, I think I just butchered that. But you know, these are fermented drinks and fermented plant products that are wonderful for the gut microbiome. And we know there's a fascinating condition now that we're becoming more familiar with called leaky gut syndrome. Some of you may be familiar with that. And we know that the barrier between the outside and the inside is just a few cell layers thick in the gut, in the stomach, in the intestines. And if that barrier is broken or not effective, you get all these bad guys that can seep into the bloodstream and set up an inflammatory response. Your body is doing the right thing. When it sees these foreign substances, it's launching these attacks. Well, it's because it's being launched all the daggum time that you get the chronic inflammation. So this, this concept of a, a, they call it leaky gut, but it essentially is a poorly filtering or protecting gut lining and that can come from uh, improper digestion, that can come from eating the wrong foods, that can come from stress and the impact it has on the gut. Uh, anything taking a lot of antibiotics can alter the gut microbiome and that in turn, the gut microbiome is important because the bacteria produce all these really helpful substances, these things called short chain fatty acids like uh, butyrate, which is very important in maintaining the normal barrier between uh, junk on the inside uh, and stuff on the outside. So just know that anything that benefits the gut bacteria, the good bacteria, will also reduce your inflammatory state. And again, those are things like uh, uh, the prebiotics and the probiotic foods. Consider periodically doing a fast. And we've talked again, this is something we've touched on before, whether it's intermittent fasting where you restrict food during a certain time, whether it's 24 hours, 48 hours, or the time-restricted feeding where you eat just during a certain uh, six or eight or 10 hour window. Both of those have been shown to reduce inflammatory markers. You see, that's what's so wonderful about studying this now is that we can actually measure inflammation. There's certain blood tests that we can do like myeloperoxidase or ApoB or uh, 
uh, highly sensitive C-reactive protein that allows us to actually monitor and measure your so-called inflammatory state. So it's not just speculation. We can look at hard, cold data and determine where you're at. So that's why I'm saying these things have been successful at improving that because we can actually study this and show it. It's not just hearsay. So we know that uh, intermittent fasting, whether that's a 24, 48, or some people will even do a longer fast where they just consume a reduction in calories or just water, or just the time-restricted eating, which is actually probably easier to do for most of us where we will just consume maybe between noon and eight all our calories. That actually has been helpful at reducing the overall inflammation. Uh, and then uh, for some people, just as we were gonna take a alcohol holiday, some people benefit by taking a dairy or gluten holiday. Now I even hesitate to bring this up because there's some gluten fanatics out there that just think, Gluten is made by the devil, and it's designed to just make your eyes shoot blood. Gluten is just a, a component of wheat. And yes, there are some people who are very allergic to gluten. They're gluten sensitive. They have a thing called celiac disease. But it's a very small portion of the population. The majority of people who react to these foods really don't have a true allergy, it's just probably in combination with many other things can create excess gas, can cause stomach upset. The same thing with dairy. Yes, there are a lot of people, in fact a lot more people who are lactose intolerant that are, that, than are truly gluten intolerant, but there is some evidence that again, taking a two-week holiday where you reduce your gluten intake, wheat basically, wheat products, and you reduce your dairy intake just for that two weeks and then go back to your normal dietary habit, that alone has been shown to reduce inflammation in some individuals. So that's something to consider. All right, that's 10, but now I'm gonna give you a bonus because I like to overperform and overdeliver. <laughs> that's what I'm doing now. Number 11, chill out. I mean, how many times do we have to talk about stress? Stress is the disease of the 20s. I mean, you just think about it. We live in a stressful world. Everything we do now is based on stress. So for me to sit up here and say, chill out and take it easy uh, is a little patronizing, and I get that because I'm probably one of the biggest awfulizers on the planet. And just ask my wife how stress-free I am. <laughs> right. Uh, but I do understand that anything that we can do to help reduce our stress decreases inflammation. When we produce this chronic cortisol and go back and review all that stuff we talked about in stress, it creates an inflammatory uh, uh, reactive state that's just not a healthy place to be. So whether it's through exercise or prayer or meditation or yoga or hamster walking or whatever it is that reduces your stress, uh, focus on that. Focus, as we've talked about, focus on the things you can control and try to let go of the things you can't during this time frame. So it all, again, you see how this all ties together, how this all plays together. Nothing happens in a vacuum, folks. Everything plays off each other. It's 
very interactive system. And then finally, be just real picky about ingredients. If you're going to the store and shopping, and you're picking up a box and reading the label, which you should be doing, if it's got a bunch of ingredients that look like they're hieroglyphics or they're things that you would never add if you were cooking at home because you don't know what the heck they are, uh, just be a little careful. Chances are they're very highly processed and we know that the more processed foods are, the more chemicals they contain, the more likely they are to trigger this response in your body of it being a foreign substance. So it only makes sense that you try to get as much in the way of products that are least processed with the least potentially aggravating chemicals that will, uh, will help reduce your overall inflammatory state. So there they are, my top 10 plus two ways of reducing inflammation. So if, if something like this, if you, if you kind of understand and you get this idea that prevention is important and looking at a holistic approach and looking at natural approaches and alternative approaches while integrating the best of traditional medicine, if you jive on that, if you really, if that juices you and you really understand the value in that, then you're probably the kind of person who might really be interested in this new process that we're getting ready to, to introduce in my office, the MDVIP uh, practice model that we're getting ready to do. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, please go to some of the last couple of um, Facebook Lives and it'll give you a little more insight into that. Well, this is the kind of stuff that we're going to embrace. This is the kind of stuff part of the blood work we'll be sending as part of your annual wellness exam looks at those inflammatory markers that we just talked about. So it's the kind of thing that will stimulate the discussion for you individually and will take each of these things if it applies to you and really focus on how we can make that happen for you. So it's just an illustration of the direction that the practice is going to that, that my practice is going to take. So again, if that if that's something that you you resonates with you that you really understand the benefit of prevention, be on the lookout if you if you haven't uh, already signed up. Be on the lookout. September fifteenth, we're going to do a community wide Zoom meeting where we're going to answer all your questions. We're going to go through in much more depth about the practice. Uh, we're getting a lot of great response and it's wonderful, but if you're thinking about it and you're just kind of putting it off or forgot about it or want to participate, go to the MDVIP website. That's mdvip.com backslash Ron Eaker MD and get some more information or call Deborah at our office and you can get some more information. So if this is the kind of stuff that really gets you excited about improving your health, get with me and we can, uh, we can get you fixed up to really embrace the concept of wellness. So I hope that had some meaning to you. I hope that's some practical tips that you can use that you can start tomorrow to improve your health and wellness. And until next time, remember, make healthy choices. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, 
just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eaker at R-E-A-K-E-R at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.